0: Hey, everybody. Okay, this is a bonus episode. This is extra. If 15 minutes of Parsha a week is not enough for you, if you're jonesing for more Parsha, then you you may know that I teach a weekly Parsha class here at ICAR in Los Angeles every Thursday at noon uh, Pacific time. You're welcome. Um, we've got folks joining us virtually from places as far away as Japan on, on Zoom. And uh, we've been archiving video edits of the classes on YouTube, but we thought we might try cutting down the one-hour class to about 40 minutes for you, for the listeners of the Best Book Ever podcasts that might not be able to fit a midday class on a Thursday into your schedule. So I hope you enjoy listening to these as much as I enjoy teaching them. Um, if you're interested to attend the class from wherever you are in the world in person, then stick around at the end of the podcast. I'll tell you how to register. Um, Just like the podcast, it's absolutely free and we'd love to have you.
1: Hello, everyone.
0: Welcome uh, to, uh, to your weekly uh, Parsha class, um, at least to my <laughs> weekly Parsha class. I'm so excited to be with you all today. I really am excited today because uh, I, I think we have a really fun one um, in front of us today. I'm, I'm really excited about this material. I've never, I've, never, I've never taught it before. And so as is sometimes the case when like new ideas are emerging, they're, they're, they're somewhat ragged. And that's fine. I need your help to to work this out. that's That's I think part of what I get out of this and part of what we do together. So um, so i want to want to I want to look at a, a at a particular piece of text with you and just sort of um, try to unpack it. And I think there's a lot of unpacking to do. I'm not sure we'll be able to do it all today. but um but I just want to say that um last week, we talked about um the detail heavy nature of these, these, these um, series of, of parshot, starting with last week's Truma um, and, and continuing with this week's titzave, um, which are mostly describing two things, the construction of the tabernacle, and then, and this week, the, um, the stitching or the, 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 the making of the, of the priestly garments and all the details and all the materials they're in. Very detail heavy and we, so last week we spent time just talking about why, why would the Torah be so giving us the number of hooks and sockets and all this. And the work that we did last week was to take a step back and consider theories of, theories that that would explain the phenomenon of these, of these parshot, of their, of their detail-heavy nature, of their subject matter, of their repetitive nature, but, but without ha- actually going into the details, just to step back and think, what is all this for? And that was, and that, and that was, and I think we did good work last week. I want this week though to take a kind of different approach to this sort of Torah text, this sort of detail-heavy Torah text, and that is. That so, that this kind of a text invites us, almost demands of us that we that we we go deep and we read very carefully and we actually instead of la- letting our eyes glaze over or just coming up with you know theories outside of the text, we actually read this stuff carefully, and and I do think that one of the lessons of the of 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 the, uh, that the Torah has to offer in these parshot. Is that if you if you if you read carefully, nothing is is ever boring, um, though it might appear to be at first. Mm. Okay, um, so I'm, we're going to do that. I, I, I say that, and, and then the truth is, I'm cheating a little bit because the object that we're going to look at today, um, the 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 piece of the of the priestly garment that we're going to zone in on and try to really unpack in just a few lines, is not is a pretty interesting object. I mean you know, once you're talking about the priestly garments, this one's particularly spectacular, and it is the crown, the, the tzitz, the tzitzah zahav, the, the, the golden crown that the that the priest wore, so that's what we're going to look at today. All right, let us, um, in this priestly season, bring some kedushah, some holiness, into our learning through um, blessing and acknowledgement and intention, um, just naming this space as a holy space with a blessing. Okay, here we go. So uh, the 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 priestly crown—that's what I said we're going to look at today. And the truth is, uh, every the, the priestly crown is is a is a an image that has its own idiom it looms large just to speak of the crown of priesthood. One is reminded immediately, oops, um, one is reminded immediately of the, um, the great the great teaching of the rabbis of the, in, in Pirkei Avot, the collection of their great kind of wisdom sayings. Uh, and there's a very famous teaching in there that speaks of three crowns. Rabbi Shimonomer, Shloshak Hem. There are three crowns, Keter Torah, the crown of Torah, so, you, you know, it's already poetic because it doesn't mean the crown on the Torah. It means the crown of studying Torah, the crown that comes to one through Torah. And then Keter Kahuna, the crown of priesthood, Veketer Malchut, and the crown of royalty, which is the one that actually we associate most with a crown. And the teaching is but the crown of a good name, Shem Tov Ole Al Gabeher, the crown of a good name supersedes them all. Okay, so you've got this idea already of like the priestly crown, the royalty of the priesthood. There's a sense in which you could speak of of the the glory, the kingship almost, the royalty of the priesthood. Um, But that's a phrase, um, but it's a phrase after all, which plays on the actual crown that is one of the garments that the priest wears. Now, let me just show you a picture of the priest. And, and this is like a cool thing to do, because it's so visual. it's such a visual Parsha that like it's, I, I happen to love these old kind of mostly Christian biblical illustrations, because you know, our tradition's not so into, you know, images and icons. so it's like cool to go back and so many other great artists have done it for us. but, um, but there's so many great images of the priest, and here's just one that I want to share with you, just to give you a sense of what we're talking about today. So, oh, that wasn't it. That's not it. Okay. Do you you do not see this 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 picture of the priest? Oh, you do, you do. Okay, great. I never know because there's like a weird thing where you if you select and then change. But this is it. This is the. I, there are many great images of the of the high priest, but I chose this one because the thing that we're going to be looking at is right here, and it's pretty it's pretty well drawn. Including, we'll soon talk about the letters that are drawn onto it, which are almost right here. And, um, and this is funny because they're also drawn on this other guy who seems to be the priests, uh, the other priest, but that's actually, that doesn't seem right as in what we're looking at is the, just the high priest, the high priest. And that's part of our conversation. We're going to be looking at the special garments that the high priest wore and, and you can see there's all kinds of garments, but the, 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 the real flashy stuff is the breastplate here. And then what's called the tzitz, the tzitz here, which has writing on it, and this is the piece that we're going to be looking at today. Okay, so the tzitz. All right, let's take a look, and let me give you a source sheet to look at. And I'm so far, I so far have been calling it the crown, the priestly crown. Um, but I just gave you the Hebrew word tzitz, tzitz. It's like a, it's a cool word tzitz, and um, and that word um. Well, we'll talk about the meaning of the word, but in terms of translating it, I actually, oh, now I have to go back to the other one, hold on. Can everybody see the source sheet? Yeah, are we good? Okay, um, so the word I actually want to use to translate is more tiara, <laughs> you know, even though it's like, you know, that seems so gendered that it feels, but you know, let's, let's get rid of our gender association, shall we, isn't that one of the projects of our age? So I th- actually think tiara is is a you know sometimes you see a uh, a diadem although that's just not a word we use very often so I didn't I, I don't want to use that and then there's um there's crown but it isn't a full crown as you saw here in the priest it it's something that wraps around a turban it's not a, exactly a full crown it's a I, I, I trust you're seeing this switching back and forth. I hope that's work, This is working, but um, but here's what it actually is. And and here that we're just gonna look at three three verses, three verses. And I just I was just like I was really uh, swallowed up by these verses this week because there is so much in these uh, these verses. And um, let's read them, and then I'm and then I want to talk about what we're gonna do with them. So here's here's the one of the priestly garments. All of the priestly garments are detailed in this week's parsha how exactly to to make them. And here's the tzitz. You shall make a tiara a tzitz of pure gold tzitz zahav tahor, pure gold, and engrave on it a seal with the inscription Kadosh lado, kodesh l'adonai, kodesh l'adonai, holy to Adonai. And, you know, Safaria has started doing this thing where they're like not translating God's name. You know, I usually translate it as the eternal. Some people translate it as Lord, but I actually kind of, I'm going to experiment with this and I'm curious if it, I want to know what is, what, what, what works best for you as a, as a reader. It's this untranslatable name. And so yeah, one of the solutions is just not to translate it. It's a little funny, but maybe we'll work with this for a while. so holy to adonai that's the way we pronounce it but that's that in itself is a is just a a, a representation not the nobody knows how to pronounce this name. but anyway, that's just a note because it started appearing in safari this way. so holy to god, holy to the lord, holy to adonai. that's what's written on the priestly uh, crown. that's what's here. kodesh la shem adonai. kodesh la adonai. so holy two or holy for Adonai okay hang it hang this teal uh, this uh, this seats this tiara on a cord of blue teal techelet on a cord of blue so that it may remain on the turban the mitznefet the mitznefet is this, this word here is the turban. And this is tied around the turban and it has to stay there. So you tie it with a, a cord, a particular kind of cord, a cord of blue, a blue string. It shall be on Aaron's forehead and Aaron will carry the sin. This is the most confusing part. And Aaron will carry the sin of the holy things, which might just mean the offerings, of the holy things th- that the israelites make holy basically these sacred gifts the offerings from any of their holy donations look at the use of holy 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 there but basically um uh with respect to these holy things aaron will carry the sin venasa aaron okay so that's interesting and it will be on his forehead at all times it's like, whoa, okay. I, yeah, I heard that it was on his forehead. Thanks for emphasizing that. Um, t- to find favor bef- uh, for them, before Adonai. Le lehem lifnei Adonai. To find, to make God pleased with them. Okay, that's the verse. You shall make a tiara of pure gold and engrave on it a seal with the inscription Holy to Adonai, Kodesh L'Adonai. Hang on it a cord of blue so that it remain on the turban. It shall remain on the front of the turban. It shall be on Aaron's forehead and Aaron will carry the sin of the holy things that the Israelites make holy from any of their holy donations it shall be on his forehead at all times to find favor for them before adonai okay that's it just a few verses and you know like a, a lot of the reading is it's, it's pretty it's like dense it's details there's some interesting stuff in there it's unusual that there's also inscription and, um, but let me let's just take stock of some of the details that we've gotten and then i want to begin to go elsewhere to make associations. And for that, I'll, I'll need your help. Okay, there's a tiara, there's a crown, fine. Well, what, do, what do we notice about it? First of all, that it has this inscription. That seems important, inscription. Second thing, that there's a cord of blue. It has to be a, a blue cord that ties it around. Okay, that's a, that's a prominent detail. Um, when we think about the... Um, oh, uh, may, and maybe while I'm talking details, it'll be on his forehead. It'll be on his forehead all times always on his forehead and then finally if there's any meaning here if there's any purpose to it all we 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 read that with this the priest will carry the sin of all of the holy things of the people of israel the sin okay that's that's sort of what this thing is going to do or associated with okay now um now i want to begin to open up the conversation a little bit i already see that my mother has her hand raised so let me see what my mother has to say my mother says, "Why does Aaron have that thing? Why? Why is it on? What, what connection does it have to to sins? Why, why? Why would that help? What What does that have anything to do with sins? Right? Exactly. That's exactly right. That's that's the question. That's the question. Like, it's a piece of of jewelry. Jewelry, and it's nice, and it says for for God. But what's the connection? How is it going to do this?" seems very serious he's going to carry the sin with this thing and that's his job i mean in some way we can begin to talk about that's what the 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 i'm, I'm saying the sign for priest is like this you know but it's not that kind of priest right with the with the thing on his neck it's more like priest <laughs> priest with the with the seats right but his job is to work with the, the offerings and to negotiate with God, the sins of Israel. So in some way it's exactly the point of the whole, you know, priesthood, but why is this thing connected to it? Okay. All right. okay. So good. It's so good. Okay. So let me, I see a lot of hands already. And I think I'll stop signing now because there's closed captions, But um, but thank you to my mother for the question. Um, for making it especially stark. Okay, what I want to do today, and then I will begin to open it up, but I in a directed way. First, I want to I want, I'm going to center us further into another text, right? So um, here's what I want to do. I want you know that I have, if you've come to my classes before, that the the the, the, the I I really believe that the Torah has to be studied with the techniques th- that we would bring to all. Um, to the study of all great literature because it is a, a, a sublimely great piece of literature and operates it's told as a story and as a and as a and as a piece of writing and so it it has a certain craft to it and therefore we look at it the way we might look at a poem or a novel or and the best of them right the most sophisticated of them is part of the presump presumption that we bring to our to our interpretive lens in this tradition so um one of the primary tools that um that brings out the kind of the literary activity and character of the torah is to seek connections sometimes in literary theory this is called um intertextuality like the way one text comments on another text and that's sort of true in the torah because we're looking at one part of the torah commenting on another like deuteronomy commenting on Genesis, but in as much as we see the Torah as one, one whole, these five books of Moses, it's really inner textuality, is what I would call it. The text referring to itself. And that is probably the main method that I use for thinking about the symbolic echoes in a piece of text. And in this text, this three line text about, the, uh, about the, the, the priestly crown, there are, it's an explosion of, of, symbolic references. That is, I read this text and suddenly I'm reminded of another part of the Torah and then all of a sudden another part of the Torah and then another part of the Torah. And they aren't all so obvious, although some of them are, but I want to try to collect as many as we can today. I think there are three, maybe four, references that we're seeing in this small piece of text to other parts of the Torah's symbolic architecture. And once we begin to make the connections, I think what we'll do is we'll have a strong sense of what, first of all, this crown is meant to do, but also what the priest is meant to do, right? Like, what is this function? What is this person? That's, in some ways, the big question. Why do we need a high priest at all? What is this figure doing for us? This figure who will, um, on some basic level, be the head of the group of people that run the temple where they make offerings to God. Okay, that's, that's the simple version, but what else? And we're already seeing hints of it as my mother pointed out, when we start to think about this, this person as not just delivering offerings or carrying out the rites and rituals, but also bearing the sin of the people of Israel. Okay, so let's start, let's start. We're gonna, we're gonna go step by step here. And I think we'll try to go from most obvious to least obvious in terms of connections. And the most obvious here, I mean, we can already find it in the name, seats, seats should already be reminding you of another great symbol in Jewish life. This word seats, let's see actually if we can, let's see if we can get a, there's, okay, seats, I'm gonna just click on it. You can do this by the way, in Safari. So you should know you can do this and get a, oops, a definition. Everybody see that definitions? nod your head if you see the definition yeah okay good okay so seats the word actually is related to the word for flowering or blooming and it's the shining thing of gold plate on the high priests there, there's another uh i don't even know miter meter meter um another word for crown but um okay this this is there's another meaning they're not sure if that's right but th- this it is somehow related to sprouting forth okay so the tzitz is going to sprout forth, right? And I don't really have to say much more. Let, let's let's say, let's do this in the chat, right? I'm sure it's already happening. It's already happening. I'm looking, and what well, I see. Ah, t- t- sounds like Noah says. Sounds like it's part of talit and tefillin. Yeah, that's right. And do I see? Do I see a- any anybody naming the actual object yet? Anyone want to name the actual object? Oh, uh, you know what Ruth Persky uh, did? She wrote to me, but she wrote in a direct message. Is tzitz related to tzitzit? Tzitzit. Okay, now, if you don't know these things, then it sounds like I'm just like, you know, it, I was like Dr. Seuss style. I'm just like throwing out syllables. But that's exactly right, what, what Ruth is is saying. And now uh, Matt, Matt Silberstein is saying fringes. Mark is saying fringes. That's right, the tzitzit, the fringes, that are a famous article of kind of holy clothing that, are, that we mention in every day in the rec- recitation of the Shema. So let's go look at that because these are, the, the word tzitz is unusual, this little tzitz, this, this crown. And then there's one other word in the Torah that, that sounds like that, it's tzitzit, as if playing on it. So the, the tzitz and the tzitzit. Okay, so um, the words are clearly related. And what I'm what I'm suggesting is, oh, if they're this related, well, you let's just look at how related they are before I talk any further. Um, All right. Let me give you uh, let me let me take us back to the back to our source sheet and uh, and we're going to take a look at the first. This is our first connection. Okay, so um, there's the seats. Here's the word here in Hebrew, and now here's tzitzit. Adonai said to Moses as follows, speak to the Israelite people and instruct instruct them to make for themselves tzitzit, which some of us were translating, it's most often translated as fringes, like little strings on the corners of their garments throughout the ages, let them attach a chord of blue to the tzitzit at each corner. Okay, did you catch that? Did you catch that chord of blue? Now you're convinced, right? It's not just doesn't just sound like it. It's like, oh, that's the exact same thing, that chord of blue. So now like the the, the reference couldn't be more direct and more obvious. So atta- let them attach a cord of blue to the tzitzit at each corner. The cord of blue doesn't function in the same way, but same exact language. The patil techelet, the cord of blue up here, patil techelet. Okay. Okay. Um, that shall be your tzitzit. Look at it and recall all the commandments of Adonai and observe them. That is the primary function of the tzitzit. They're there to remind you of all the commandments of God and observe them so that you do not follow your heart and eyes in your lustful urge lustful urge because the word there is is um um the word that the torah uses is um um that you taturu acharei levavchem that you you wander after your hearts and after the things that you literally like that you kind of you whore yourself after i think is 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 probably like zona a a prostitute a prostitute right so um znut uh you know like explicit kind of lust okay so all of that language is used and i'm emphasizing it to translate it but also because this may be part of the messaging that we want to keep in our minds what is what are the tzitzit doing so thus you you should be reminded to observe all my commandments and to be holy to your god to be holy to your God, to be holy to your God. You see that? To be holy to your God, and there's the language kadoshim lelohechem, holy to your God. The way that the priest is kodesh ladonai. Okay, but it's not. I mean, it's not exactly the same language there. So I'm not sure. I'm like, I'm not even sure about all the connections I'm making. But there's certainly enough to ask the question: What's the connection? Simple question: What's the connection between the tzitz? And the tzitzit here, um, you know, we wear them on, the, on our fringes. Uh, here, I, 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 I left my tallit out today so that I could show you that like, this is the way it looks, these tzitzit on the end of the, of the tallit. Why is there no blue string? We kind of lost that tradition. Some people do it, some people don't, but this is what we're talking about. So what's this got to do with the priestly crown, okay? Let's begin, let's start to open our conversation up. Um, Alison.
2: Oh, thank you for picking on me. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so really interesting conversation. And I was actually in another Torah study earlier this week with Mele Salem, And she made this observation that I thought was really interesting that like the Kohen Gadol was not going around looking in mirrors, right? So it didn't say like Kodesh Adonai in order for him to remember that he was holy. It's actually like the Israelites would be looking at him. And so it's a reminder to us that that we are holy, actually. Um, and I think that, yeah, right? And I think that it plays kind of the same role that we wear the tzitzit, because they're also almost like tying a string around your finger, that you would wear these strings as a reminder that you know, you're holy, you've agreed to these things. Good,
0: good. Good. So what Allison is doing is exactly, exactly the sort of like rich work that I want us to be engaged in today, because you see the connection that she just drew, which isn't an obvious, it's not clear that that's what the holy to to Adonai is doing on the, priest, on the priest's forehead. But as Allison says, we're going to read it. So the priest becomes a reminder to us. That's what the tzitzit are for. The tzitzit are there to remind us to stay away from you know the the worst behaviors. So is the priest. But now that's but that's a new idea. The priest is, does all kinds of things, and the priest carries the sin and the priest atones for the sin. But the priest is also part of the function of the priest, it's like a reminder. Because I exist, because we even have this, this institution, remember that you should try not to have to get here in the first place. Right. And and the tzitzit is like the the little. The little sprouting forth that says, hey, 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 you are holy, be holy, stay holy, don't do these other things. It's a great connection. Okay, let's keep going. Jen Snow. Hi. Um,
2: Hi, my Jen. Quest- Hi, my question is. Are you on is camera is- today? I'm, I am. I'm walking around, so. Okay. All right. Yeah. <laughs> um, my question is, I'm really interested in the blue and the tachelet. And this might be like a topic for another time but if that's something that's mentioned so many times in the Torah so specifically why is it something that we lost?
0: Right okay good good so there's a distinct feature here the blue thread that it I mean uh, Jen's exactly right that it's very prominent in our in our in our, our kind of Jewish psyche because it's there in the shema i mean it's sort of a random thing a blue thread but it's there in the shema and if you're saying your prayers you're saying it twice a day so there it is it's very prominent but actually it doesn't appear that often It's actually not that it's in this institution the tzitzit and then also in the 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 priestly garments so that blue that extra blue thread like what is that meant to do now we can start to talk about the symbolism of the blue thread in tzitzit, which is sometimes meant to evoke the sky, um, um, or to be a particular reminder to stand out in a way that, like, is this royalty. Mordechai famously um, um, wears tichelit as well. So, but but the the but the most important thing for our conversation is that there's there's blue in each of these things, and in this case, we can. What, once we establish this relationship between symbols, we can imagine them informing one another, right? So what Allison just did was say that, oh, if the tzitzit are meant to remind us, then maybe the priest is too. What I what I would like to do with mm-hmm. with Jen's comment is to say, oh, just like the priest, to go the other direction and say, just like the priest is like decorated with royal fine colors and. And exquisite, like the vivid nature of the priest's garments. So too, we have a streak of that, just a streak, right? We mostly we just put on a like a, a white talis, but we have like or a white seat but we have like a streak. Of, I, but this is just again, this is this be, this begins to be like riffing. You the, the establishing the connection is the important part, and then there's not an official answer on what the symbolic connection is. But once we've established that we feel confident about the the dialogue between the two texts, then we can. Then we can then we can riff in this way all right let's take a couple of more comments on this text and then i want to begin to bring in um further text uh, more layers of symbolism that i think the torah is 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 pointing us towards Well, I, I'm going to go a little out of of, of the order I was going to go here. Matt suggests that the priest, the priest himself, has become a sacred object. Right. And Florine wonders what's going on with all this transference of sin. Who carries sin? Well, all of that imagery might might remind us of another kind of another moment in the in the in the the institution of the temple and the holy objects and the bearers of sin we might already be thinking about it but if we weren't yet i'll just ask us another question which is what else in the torah is labeled with the with the words kodesh ladonai or ladonai that is to god this is this is dedicated kodesh it's dedicated to god what else in our in our sacred literature is specifically marked as designated for god actually like in that same way ladonai and i'm seeing it in the chat it's the goat that goes to god on yom kippur whereas another goat goes azazel off to the wilderness of azazel so let me show you that here here's another i think that this is also a connected text let me let me see if if you agree with me so i'm going to skip down here um the priest who after all is Aaron on Yom Kippur places lots upon the two goats one marked to Adonai, Ladonai and the other marked to Azazel Aaron shall bring forward the goat designated by lot to Adonai which is to offer as a sin offering while the goat designated by Lot for Azazel shall be left standing alive before Adonai to make expiation with it and to send it off to the wilderness for Azazel. Now, this is an incredibly bizarre and, 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 and confused, like, uh, um, I don't want to just, it's not just negative, it's just like it's dizzying in its intricacy and strangeness, this ritual of the two goats, but it's the ritual which we perform on the holiest day of the year that's performed by the high priest. And one of these goats is labeled as for God in the way that the priest is labeled for God. And both of the goats are doing a, a thing that seems to be like carrying the sin. The goat that goes to Adonai is carrying literally a sin offering. And then the goat that goes to Azazel sort of famously is the scapegoat that actually carries the burdens of the two versions of what it means to expiate sin. One, a scapegoat that goes off the cliff and carries our sins. And then this more classic, the offering, that Matt says the priest is. The priest is like the goat that goes, the priest is a sacrifice. The priest is is now designated for God, and perhaps then also, like the goat, carries some of the sins of the people on him, right? Okay, now we're we're getting somewhere, aren't we? We're getting somewhere. So let's keep let's keep sort of churning here. Um, Kate Silber, Silverstein, I hope
3: can... I actually have something to contribute today. I was saying Tete screaming it when you were first asking the question, but I was on mute, of course. And I, I'm just remembering when, sort of tying into Matt, and we're in different rooms, actually, that the priest becomes the sacrifice. And I'm thinking that remembering, and I, I can't cite sources like so many of the educated people here can, but that the priest would be held on by a string when it was near the holy of holies. And I'm thinking that when the rabbis prostrate on... Yom Kippur in many shuls before, you know, we all prostrate or those of us who want to, at B'nai Jeshurun it was the same way, but it used to be that the rabbis went down and there was always someone with them, one to help them up, but I think it was symbolic of them holding on as the priest was the sacrifice at this holiest of times when we're we're all giving all of our sins and asking for forgiveness. So those were the images that were coming yeah, to me. Yeah,
0: yeah, beautiful, Kate. And you know, the truth is, um, we could we could do a lot of this work. You we know, if we had a, if we had more time of thinking about the way that the rituals were discussed and constructed, the rituals of Yom Kippur in particular, um, and you know, as as Kate is describing the kind of the cord that pulls back. Um, I'm reminded that the the goat that's sent off to the wilderness of Azazel is also said to have had a cord tied around it that would change color when the goat when when the when the act had been done, so that people knew that the that the that the the scapegoat goat had 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 met its end and that they were expiated. So there's something about the like a lot of the the actual um the actual mechanisms of like the of the of the, of the of the garments and the way they create these little connections or evoke these little um, these little reminders, uh, we can see that we can see this sort of what we're doing is exactly I think what the rabbis were doing when they began to imagine this ceremony and sketch it out for us in the Mishnah. Okay, um, well, I'm, I'm almost. Never mind. I'm almost. Oh, I'm almost. Um, I'm running close to out of time here. So and I. I, I knew we wouldn't be able to do this all today, but there, there's, there's so much more going on here. And so far we've only been, we looked at Tzitzit, we looked at the goat on Yom Kippur, and we're thinking remember still about all of the symbolism in this crown. What does this crown mean to do? And so far our our connections have been in the realm of kind of ritual objects or ritual rituals and ceremonies. And those are great connections to make, but it, as is as is often the case in the Torah's symbolic uh, architecture, um, that there are also references to um, there are also references to uh, narrative pieces of the Torah that are embedded in the the rituals or the laws that we get from the Torah. And here I want to take us to, to one um one narrative in particular that I think I think feeds right into the conversation that we've been having. Um, and that narrative is, um, I'll, I'll see if we can, uh, I wanna give us the cue first. The cue is we've already seen it, which is we've seen it repeated already, the cord of blue. The cord of blue, the patil t'chelet, this cord of blue. And we saw that the priest has a cord of blue. And then we also saw that the tzitzit that we wear um, they also have a cord of blue. Same language, a patil a Patil—that's the word for the cord here, the patil. Now, I love to do this, so you've seen me do this before. But this is like this is the, this is the magic of the Torah. The patil is the language that we get around the priestly garments and the holy garments that come thereafter. That that like that's like tzitzit. But there's only one place in the Torah before all this where we see a patil. There's only one appearance of the patil in the Torah back in the book of Genesis. Anybody know what it is? Let's see if I see people. Let's see. Uh, uh. Seeing some red string stuff. That's good. That's good. Okay. Uh, Tamar's kids. Yeah, we're getting there. We're getting there. All right, so take a look. So here it is. Here's the story. Um, the story, and, and somebody just mentioned Tamar's kids. Yeah, there it is Matt Silverstein Genesis 38. That's great. Yeah, that's right. Um, One of the most important chapters in the Torah. Um, It is it's pivotal because um, it's the story of Judah. The wretched story of Judah because Judah gets into a complicated situation. Wanders off to be on his own. marries a nameless woman has three children very quickly, and then and then the, his, his sons start marrying Tamar, but they start dying off because they're wicked sons. But he blames Tamar and decides not to marry her to his third, it's, there's like a succession. And in Jewish law where the younger brother would have to marry the, the widow, but, the, but Judah blocks the third marriage. That's, so there's a lot, I'm like shoving a lot of narrative at you, but this is the Judah story. And essentially keeps Tamar in a state of perpetual widowhood. So essentially, sort of imprisons her in mourning. Never, doesn't doesn't let her carry on with her life, and she plays sort of like the 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 the, the great comeback on him by disguise, going out and disguising herself um, uh, as a as a prostitute when Judah is going whoring <laughs> when Judah is going to find a prostitute. Tamar disguised her, herself as, now I say whoring and I said it before, I mean, there's something a little like, you know, uncivilized about that word, but I, I say it pointedly because we have heard it before in the language of the tzitzit. So here's Judah going whoring and Tamar dresses up, dresses up, right? Clothing language, like a prostitute. And this is what we see in that scene. Take a look at this, it's quite striking. Um, so Tamar took off her widow's garb covering her face with a veil and wrapping herself up. She sat down at the entrance to a we're on the road to Timnah. for she saw that Shela was grown up and yet she had not been given to him as a wife. So she sees what's going on that she's gonna be relegated to, to old maid status forever at a, at a, at a, at a, young, at a young maid's age. Um, when Judah saw her, he took her for a harlot. That's the, the Torah's attempt to be polite. Took her for a harlot, took her for a prostitute he thought she was a prostitute because she had covered her face. So he turned aside, and by the way, the language of prostitute, exactly the language that he found in tzitzit, Zona. So he turned aside to her by the road and he said, here, let me sleep with you. Oh, isn't that nice? For he did not know what, that she was his daughter-in-law. She's disguised, and so he doesn't get that it's his own daughter-in-law, but he's trying to solicit her. What she asked, will you pay for sleeping with me? And he said, I will send a kid from my flock. In other words, I will send a goat. I will send a goat, I will send a goat from my flock. We've already talked about goats. But she said, you must leave a pledge. And this becomes a big, big word in the Judah story. An eravon, a pledge, an exchange, something that substitutes, something that holds the place of, something that keeps, keeps the security. And he said, what pledge shall I give you? And she said, your seal and your cord and the staff, which you carry your seal, your seal, your cord, and your staff, your seal and your cord and the staff. And this is the only other appearance of the word for cord, but before we get it in the priestly garments. Okay. Now, and if that's not enough, if that's not enough remember that there was also a seal in the tiara same word chotem, a seal and a cord a seal and a cord and then in the judah story a seal oh uh, wait one sec a seal a seal and a cord a seal and a cord and what's the one other object that he pledges is a staff a staff. And who carries a staff? (laughs) I mean, I just have to do this. Who carries a staff? Aaron does. They call it a rod back then, but it's the same language, his staff. Right? So now, now I'm really kind of like, you can see I'm just like throwing things around, but I'm throwing them around because look, just look, just look, the word cord, like a cord takes us all the way back to the Judah story. Wherein, where we find um, a pledge that is made with a cord and a seal, just like the priest's cord and seal, and a staff which Aaron also carries. Okay, and they are given as a pledge, meaning they are given as a way of saying, "I am pledging; I hold this in security. It is a substitute for what I owe you." And I'm emphasizing this so strongly because the word becomes extremely important in Judah's life because Judah himself eventually becomes a pledge. And let's just take a look at that really quickly because now like with that, we really crack the symbolism wide open because when um, uh, 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 Benjamin is taken or no, sorry, when Shimon is taken and captive in Egypt, And Joseph asked the brothers to bring Benjamin down, and Jacob is nervous to bring Benjamin to a foreign land, lest Benjamin be kidnapped, again, his youngest son, as Joseph once was. Judah steps forth and says, I will be a pledge for him. If anything goes wrong, I will stake my life on it. And here's what he says. He says... Judah said to his father, Israel, send the boy in my care and let us be on our way that we may live and not die, you and we and our children. I myself will be a pledge for him. I will be a pledge for him, and you may hold me responsible if I do not bring him back to you and set him before you. I will have sinned before you forever. Okay. Did I? Am I convinced you? Have I convinced you? I mean, I remember that we're looking at three lines in the tzitz, just three lines. But we've gotten the tzitzit; that was obvious. We've gotten to this goat. I don't know. Were you convinced or not? But it seemed to fit squarely into our understanding of what the priest is about. And now I think the connection between these two stories, the Judah story, where uh, where he becomes a kind of a substitute, a kind of an exchange himself. He carries carries the weight of the situation upon himself like a kind of a, a, like a, kind of a, a sin offering. And he says, and if I, if I don't do this well, it will be a sin, the sin will stay, right? And, and I guess I could also say that in the moment where, well, how is the pledge used in the Tamar story? Do you remember that? She, is, she gets pregnant by, uh, by Judah, and then Judah, in an appalling act of hypocrisy, um, sentences her to death. Because she's somehow gone off and you know and and, prost- and prostituted herself, ironically, right? Because he's he's the he's the the one who made that happen, and she brings out the cord and the seal and the staff, and she says, "Whoever owns these, that's the person who is the father of my child." And Judah immediately says, Judah immediately says. Uh, Judah recognizes the seal and the cord and the staff and says she is more in the right than I. In other words, I acknowledge I was wrong. I was wrong. I have sinned. I have sinned. And that's when Judah becomes the kind of person who can offer himself up. right? So you see all the connections I'm drawing. You see all these layers here. I want to give the uh, one last I take one last comment and want to give it to Mark, who so 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 gently uh, retreated earlier. Um, and and give him the last uh, the last word here today.
1: Thank you. I, I think Rabbi that he definitely connected the you definitely connected the image of and the role of the high priest to being a pledge to God when the high priest performs on behalf of the Hebrews when the high priest performs all the 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 rituals that that is established and I think the connection to to Judah and the Judah story is is really brilliant. I think there's also a basis to see this story as a reflection of what happened when the great transition happened between the religion of the Hebrews, whose whose religious activity was contingent on the existence of the temple and the sacrificial system in the temple, when that was destroyed, when there was no longer sacrifices and therefore no longer a priesthood, I think what happened was that the symbolism of the blue thread, the symbolism of, symbolism of the tzitz, the symbolism of a band wrapped around the head, as well as the symbolism on, of the arm, all of those symbols were transferred from this imagery in the priesthood in the Torah's time to the individual Jew, who was then able to wear a tallit, to wear tefillin, to engage, because the intermediary that the priest was in the priesthood, that intermediary was gone. I love that. I so, love that. So we hell- we received we received the the symbolism in a toolkit, so that we can we can we can relate to God individually and democratically. And that's what I think helped Judaism develop. Perfect, thank and you Jewish Mark, people. thank you. So that, that,
0: is, that I think is, is a perfect place to end this conversation, which is to say that, that's right. The very move, and Mark is describing it in a large historical sweep, which is also true, the movement from temple Judaism to personal and ritual Judaism. But in a sense, that move is already happening in the Torah. And that was the first move we made from the seats of the high priest to the tzitzit that we are now all supposed to wear. There's a, there's already an opening. And Mark, here, I'll, I'll do it myself. What Mark is saying is that once we had the high priest to affect this, but now we wear this garment. Every morning, I, we wrap ourselves in this garment, this, you know, and we say, litatef but tzitzit. Thank you for commanding me to wrap myself in tzitzit. And then we place it on our heads and this, is called an Atara, the crown, the crown of this garment. Right. one of the blessings we make is, is in the morning is Oter Yisrael batifara, that the one to bless God who crowns Israel with splendor. Right. The first to be crowned with splendor was Aaron and it meant a lot of things. And it was an intense and, and weighty crown that he carried upon himself. But in a sense, and Mark is saying this so, so pointedly in a sense, that the message of the, the enduring message of the high priest is that now we're all wearing that crown, we're all wearing that crown, and we all we all carry certain responsibilities, and we all try to project holiness, right? These are and 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 it's not simple, <laughs> and so, and sometimes we're that goat, and sometimes we're that goat, right? But we are we are trying to become the kind of person that is willing to. Um, to, to display honestly who they are and what they've done and to make right for it. Like Judah did, like Judah did. And then like the high priest did for us, and now like we try to do for ourselves. So that is a, that's great work. We, there, there's the one last layer we didn't get to. Take a look at the last couple of texts on your source sheet, but it's uh, great to learn with you all. And uh, really, 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 uh, really fun. To have, it's just like such a pleasure to have a group. Here, I'll send the source sheet again that I can talk about the seats with. I mean, like what a, what a wonderful gift that I actually have a community that will show up and talk to me about the seats of all things. So thank, thank you for being here and I'll uh, see you next week. Okay, that's it. A taste of our weekly Parsha class. Uh, I want to thank everyone who came to the class, some of whose voices you may have heard today, uh, some you didn't because the podcast has been edited. So just want to thank everybody. Um, and speaking of editing, I want to thank also our uh, editor, Vera Blossom, for her great work. If you'd like to join our class sometime, and come and, and join our, our circle of of Torah geeks, you can find us uh, again, Thursdays, 12 p.m., online at ikar.org. That's I-K-A-R.org. And, uh, and if you go to the calendar, uh, then you can find a Zoom link and just click in. And um, and in the section uh, on the website uh, that that uh, we keep our classes, you can if you click on Parsha Study, you'll find all of our archived classes and source sheets and everything we discuss there. So if you're looking for a regular Parsha class, I'd love to see you. Um, and, uh, and in the meantime, I will talk to you next week.